think it's a great confession. Do you believe it? Do we all believe it? That's it, James. I don't have to preach my message. <laughs> but just in case you need a reminder, Psalm 136.26 says, Give thanks to the God of heaven. His faithful love endures forever. Romans 8. Romans 8, starting at 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come and there's more. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your, your great love for each and every one of us. Father, I thank you, Lord, that we'll be open to hear your word this evening. That you would touch our hearts as only you can touch our hearts. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're with us and you'd lead and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Rather amazing that Paul, who had all manner of trouble, and he touches on a bit there, was able to write that nothing will separate us from the love of God. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11 of what he's been through. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I have in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. In weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things which come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things that concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. Yeah. He's the man who wrote that God, nothing can separate us from the love of God. I think he might have understood that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's rather interesting. We have some afflictions come against us and we go... Oh, God doesn't love us. Sheesh. The great uh, preacher John Wesley said, One of the greatest evidences of God's love to those that love him is to send them afflictions with grace to bear it. Do we like that? Yeah. Oh, James, you do not. <laughs> Who likes afflictions apart from Pastor James? 
(laughs) I don't think any of us do. But it doesn't separate us from the love of God, does it? Amen? Mother Teresa said, I know God will not give me anything I can't handle. I just wish he wouldn't trust me so much. (laughs) Do you feel like that sometimes? (laughs) I know you're there, God, but... And we say, I don't feel God's love. Well, I wonder if Paul felt God's love when he was being whipped and flogged and shipwrecked and robbed and put in jail, hungry, thirsty, naked. I wonder if he felt God's love. Do we feel God's love when we have afflictions come against us? Let's be honest. No. But that's okay. Where's that song? Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me. Who am I? Say that. Ask yourself that question now. Who am I? You're someone that God loves passionately. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his love towards us that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. From the most evil to the most godly that have ever walked or will walk on this planet. Jesus died for us. I just finished reading a short uh, a book called A Short History of England. They're not nice people. <laughs> no offence to your highness over there in the white. Poms are horrible. They're evil. <laughs> they are terrible. You wouldn't want to have been in the royal family. If you were number 96 in line, watch your back because number 97 will have it for... That sounds like a program on telly. (laughs) (laughs) Because they want to get up the top at the Tower of London. They show you a window of a room where two boys were murdered. Yes, true story. It was in the book as well as the guy told us. By their uncle whose son was third, I might get the numbers wrong, but was third in line. These two were first and second. No one could charge him, but all the evidence pointed to this, well, obviously because his son's the next in line, duh. There was a, who's heard a, you know, if if you talked against the king or the queen or the whatever, it's called, what is it, treason. For treason, you can be hung, drawn and quartered. Have you heard that? I've heard it, but I've never really sort of known exactly what it was until we were with friends in England watching this show about um, Guy Fawkes and, you know, the the Catholic guy who wanted to blow up the Parliament and King Henry VIII because he was still a Catholic. And, of course, if you know the story of Henry VIII, he wasn't allowed a divorce because he was a Catholic, so he decided not to be a Catholic. And anyone who was a Catholic had to repent and be an Anglican or Church of England or whatever he made them. And uh, 
in this program, there was a, a two got arrested. It was an older lady, and I think it was her, either her son or a grandson or something. So he got hung, drawn, and quarter. And there on BBC TV, they showed you what they do when they hang, hang draw, and quarter somebody. It's really not nice. The old lady didn't fare quite so bad. They laid her up on the planks where they do the hanging and the drawing and quartering, laid her on the ground, put a big slab of timber with nails. You know, those years ago the Indian fellas used to be in the circus and they'd lay on the bed of nails while it was the other way round. And then they'd pick up rocks and just drop it on her. They weren't nice people. I'm glad the ones we met are nicer. Yeah, I felt a bit safe. Jesus died for those people. You know, he died for Billy Graham. Billy Graham would have to be the most godliest man that I've known, read, heard about. He'd be one of the few Christians, if you put his name in the internet, that doesn't have a whole heap of negative um, web pages about his ministry or about who he was. He was above all that. He was an amazing man of God. But Jesus still died for Billy because he was, he was a sinner. So we have on that end, you know, we still see, you know, sit down and watch the news. We still see evil and mankind doing such horrible things to each other today as back in English history. And yet we've got really good people, godly people on the other spectrum and everyone in between, Jesus died. From the most evil to the most godly, God showed his love to us by sending his son to die for our sin, that we would be made right through Christ and be brought into his family. Why? Ephesians 1 tells us, for his good pleasure. God's good pleasure. Let that sink in. He wanted us for his good pleasure. So getting back to our afflictions, how could, how could Paul write something like Romans 8 after that list of afflictions he's been through? What, what was he thinking? I said it this morning, Philippians 4.13. We all know it. I'll just try and remember it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you were, I said this morning that that doesn't mean I could be a. I'd like through Jesus' strength I can be a brain surgeon. That would be scary. It means, like Paul's list, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me when these afflictions come. It has nothing to do with whether God loves you or doesn't love you. There's no such thing as he doesn't love you. He loves you. God's love is not about feelings but about belief. Do we believe the scriptures that tell us about God's love? The word believe, beliefs, belief is very popular in the New Testament. A fellow called Jerry Bridges 
wrote or said, God's unfailing love for us is an objective fact affirmed over and over in the Scriptures. It is true whether we believe it or not. Our doubts do not destroy God's love, nor does our faith create it. It originates in the very nature of God who is love, and it flows to us through our union with his beloved Son. Amen? So basically, if we say God doesn't love me, or I don't feel like God loves me, then we're saying we don't believe God's word. And if we don't believe God's word, we are always going to struggle in following Christ. Basic Christianity is believing God loves you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 5.24 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into, into life. Belief and faith go together. When you look at one of those words in the you know, a Greek thing that tells you original language, they're sort of intertwined. They mean basically the same thing, sort of. And there's many instances in the Bible of people believing in Jesus' word and through that belief having faith that he will do what he says. There's two examples in the New Testament where Jesus was amazed or marveled, depending on your translation. Gobsmacked could be an Australian translation at people's belief or lack of. Mark 6, in Mark 6, speaking of Jesus, then he went out from there and came to his own country and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such Mighty works are performed by his hands. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. This is in Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty works there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. He marvelled, he was gobsmacked because of their unbelief Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. These people claimed to be the children of God, Jews, sons of Abraham, proud of their heritage, And yet he was amazed at their unbelief. Compare that to Mark, no, Matthew chapter 8. An account of a centurion, starting at verse 5. Matthew chapter 8, 
verse 5. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralysed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come. And he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marvelled. He was gobsmacked and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not seen, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. There's a slap in the face to the rallies at Nazareth, isn't it? Here's a Roman, the hated, what do you call it, conqueror of, of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. And he's showing more faith than all the house of Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, not as you felt like, as you believe, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. What a contrast. I sometimes find it rather funny that, or funny as in the sad type funny, that there are many in the community that believe in God. They believe they're going to go to heaven. So they must have some belief that God loves them. And they wouldn't confess to being Christians. And that there's people in the house of God who have said, I don't think God loves me. Nazareth and a Roman centurion. If like the people of Nazareth, you, we don't think God's word is true, I said earlier, we will struggle in our Christian faith. James chapter 1, starting at verse 6, says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I was talking with a friend a couple of years ago, who's an older man, but a good friend of mine, and he didn't feel like he was saved. So I went through the scriptures, you know, do you believe Jesus died for your sins and rose again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I kept going through all these scriptures. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that. But I don't feel saved. Mate, you're saved because you believe it. <laughs> but he struggled with that. He's trying, but you believe it, so you're good. Yeah, yeah but I don't feel it. You don't have to feel it. Yeah. Feelings can be so deceiving. One John four verses nine to eleven says, "In this 
The love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. I probably I should change that to he loves us still. And sent his Son to be the propitiation, sorry, I've got a dry mouth, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. As disciples of Christ, how can we share God's love if we don't believe it ourselves, that he loves us? Sure, we'll be able to do things, but not with the compassion and the love that Jesus has through us. Jesus had founded the most revolutionary movement in human history, a movement built on the unconditional love of God for the world and the mandate to live that love. Charles Marsh's The Beloved Community. I have no idea whether that's a book or a church or whatever. If you were listening closely last night to, the, uh, to Bishop Michael Curry, you would have heard that. Who'd heard of Bishop um, Michael Curry until last night? Over two billion people have heard of him now. Humble beginnings. Descendant of American slaves. Because of God's love, he has been propelled onto the world stage. Not only him, but the message of God's love. Who watched? Who watched? Who's the Who's the romantic royalist? Oh, you'll have to Google. It's on YouTube. You can see it. His message was brilliant. Speaking of love, he was told he had five minutes. <laughs> Fancy telling a black American preacher he's got five minutes. After the After the thing, Channel Nine had some royal watcher there. And obviously they were told, we've got to find fault in this wedding somewhere. So the preacher was it. Oh, he spoke too long. A black American preacher, glad he didn't speak for two and a half hours. (laughs) He spoke for ten minutes. (laughs) So I better hurry up. He shared the love of God, not just with a congregation of however many, but over two, they, they estimate over two billion viewers. Heard the love of God. He shared it with a passion that showed that this man knew that God loved him. I went to a funeral on Friday of a man who was an indigenous South Sea Island descent. Oh. Back in 1943, he was born on the banks of a creek outside the town of Ayr in North Queensland. There was over a thousand people at the funeral. There were over three hours of tributes for this man. I say the following with great respect and honour. Not bad for a little black fellow with a cheeky smile born on the side of a creek in North Queensland, hey? And we heard that numerous times. I'm I'm, I'm glad you're laughing, you guys up the back. (laughs) Some of us here, we've had Brian Hannaway preach in our our church. What a great guy. 
And you know, his whole thing of ministry was love God, love people. And you can only do that when you know God loves you. And that just spurred him on to love others because he knew God loved him. The unconditional love of God for the world and the mandate to live that love. But you might think, but I'm not a great preacher, I'm not a, a whatever. And what about this guy? I was told about this guy this morning, a fellow called Tim Tebow, a young American footballer. You know, you ever see the American footballers, they put that black stuff under their eyes for who knows whatever reason. So, And apparently they write stuff in it. So he had... Philippians 4.13 for a long time. And then he decided that he'd change it to John 3.16. So he did that. He, that was in what they, I think they call it college football or something. A few years later, he, uh, from the teams they were mentioning, he must have made it up into the, you know, the big time. And they'd, they'd had a game and their, his team win and he was... He was asked to go and uh, you know, talk to the media, one of most footballers' favourite things. And as he was about to go, one of the team managers or some, someone in the team said, you know this John 3.16 thing you got? Do you understand what's happened today? No, what? He said, it's three years since you've been wearing it. I better read them all. <laughs> in this, that, this game... He passed, he must have been, is it a quarterback that does the, you know, the throw thing? He must have been one of those because he passed the ball 316 yards for the game. His average pass was 31.6 yards. His CBS rating, whatever that is, was 31.6. His possession was 31.06. And during the game... 90 million people Googled John 3.16. So I want to see you all next week wearing John 3.16 under your eyes, okay? (laughs) We've had a a big world preacher, a little black fella from Ayr. And then this guy who was a nobody, a football player in America... 90 million people. The bishop had 2 billion people hearing the love of God. You can't do that, I don't think, without knowing that God loves you in a very real way. If we don't feel like God loves us, we need to go to God's word. Read it and believe it. And like the Roman centurion, like Bishop Michael Curry, like Pastor Brian Hannaway and Tim Tebow, the footballer, Jesus will be amazed at our faith. Could I have the music team back, please? I've been a Christian now for, I'll say since 1986 because it's easier than trying to work out the years. And I think from the very start, I knew God loved me. And if there's anything that's got me anywhere, 
Not that I've really gone anywhere, but <laughs> is knowing that God loves me in the darkest times, in the sad times, in the whatever, whatever times. I don't have a list like Paul, nowhere near it. But it doesn't matter. It's just knowing that incredible love of God within ourselves. Knowing that the God who designed and built and well spoke rather the universe and our earth into existence. The God who could do anything he wanted, anyhow he wanted, whatever he wanted, decided that he'd die for me. That's all I need to know. I've had times where situations in churches we've been in the past haven't been that crash hot and I think, what's the point? This is ridiculous. This is stupid. And you go to walk away and you go, can't do it. If God loved me that much, how can I walk away? How can I walk away? Rick Warren wrote, God is love. He didn't, sorry, God is love. He didn't need us, but he wanted us. Isn't that amazing? God wanted us. And that is the most amazing thing. Ephesians 1, you've heard me rattle this off, and you're going to hear me rattle it off again because it's just so amazing. It sums it up. Ephesians chapter 1, starting from verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. I've already said it. Before he decided to have a world, he was thinking about me. He was thinking about each and every one of you. He was thinking about every workmate, every family member, every football team member, whatever we have around Gladstone. Does that make you feel special? don't know about you, but it makes me feel darn special. Where was I? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. He loved us for his good pleasure. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which we, he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, 
being predestined according to the purpose of his will, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. We're the praise of his glory. That's mind-blowing. Amen? Wow. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In him also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Amen. Let's stand together. My prayer for tonight is that we would all know, not only know, but we would believe that God loves us and that we can take that into our community, into our families, into wherever. Not only will we believe that, but we'll also believe that he will never leave us or forsake us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, the Bible, and we thank, we thank you that we can take that as truth because you are a God that cannot lie. Lord, I would pray this evening if there's any, with the slightest of doubt, whether you love them or not, that you, through your Holy Spirit, will minister to them this evening. That we would all know that without a doubt we are loved by the God Almighty, the creator of this universe. That we are so special to him that he would come and die for us, take our sin that we might live, that we might be part of his family. I thank you, Lord, for that you chose to adopt us. You chose us. We thank you, Lord, we're part of your family. And I pray as we continue to walk in that knowledge of your love, that we would be inspired, we would be encouraged to share that love with others, that they too would know your love. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, team.